Well, welcome to Key to the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We've been talking about it for the last half hour on Blog Talk, and we covered a number of subjects, which we have some of which we have covered before. One is, is was Paul a Roman citizen? And of course, when you use the word citizen, you have to take into consideration what kind of citizen are you talking about? What period of time in Roman history? Uh, the actual words in the Greek is Romeos. It was Paul Romeos. And they weren't talking about the general citizenship of the average Roman citizen. They were talking about those who were Romeos, which was a great freedom. As I said many times before, that if you were a centurion, you automatically got Roman citizenship, but you weren't automatically Romeos. And we know this right by the biblical context alone, without even studying anything else, but just reading the Bible, you see that the head of the cohort had paid a great sum for this freedom. And that freedom was not just being a Roman citizen. It was being not subject to administrative government. Most Roman citizens at that time were subject to administrative government. It was the regulations and statutes that were coming out of the Senate, the uh, uh, prime directives of the Imperator, uh, the chief executive officer of Rome, who we would know as the Emperor, like Augustus or, or uh, uh, Nero. They had these executive orders, being the chief executive officer, they had decrees of Caesar. And you were subject to those decrees if you were one of those subject Roman citizens. But if you were a Romeos, you were not subject to those decrees and therefore did not have to obey those decrees. Although because of simply the beast nature of governments that get more and more power, uh, sometimes you could be murdered by the government itself. I mean, most people in, in history are murdered by governments. They're not murdered by your common thief on the side of the road. They're murdered by the governments of the world. And they have lots of different ways to do this. Uh, they don't always put you in gas chambers or put your head against a wall and shoot you. I mean, right now, the U.S. military, more soldiers are dying from suicide than from the enemy. And so why are so many of them subject to suicide? It's because of the uh, nature of their service in the countries where they are taken to. The, the nature of the army itself, the nature of the military, how it functions, this uh, Olympic society that they've created alters the state of the consciousness of the people. There's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of alcoholism, there's a lot of bored downtime, there's a lot of useless, meaningless uh, activities to your existence, and you end up without a purpose, you end up depressed, you end up committing suicide. And a lot of this is not amongst men who are seeing action. There are men who are seeing no action, no purpose. America there's a huge number of people on antidepressants and having trouble with being supposedly bipolar. It's because they have no purpose in life. This is what happens in a selfish society, in a society that de degenerates into being selfish. Now, 
sometimes we overcompensate for the fact that we live in a selfish society and we try to give of our own life but in foolish ways. Not in wisdom. Not in true love. We actually we we give to charities that weaken the people, not strengthens them. Our whole church entity system is to make you think you're okay, you're saved, don't worry about it. All is hunky-dory when it's not. They don't talk about repentance, and even when they do, they don't really tell you what to be repentant of. What is the sin of man? And we'll say sin of man, not woman, sin of man. Because it was Adam, one man's sin, the whole world. They talk about Adam's sin. Uh, recently I saw a discussion on our uh, PCM group, which is our personal contact ministers. And the only way to get on that group is somebody has to elect you as their personal contact in the network. You don't have any power, but you get to be on that PCM group and you get to see a lot more activity. But they talk about, they, they actually look at this whole debate between you know, uh, women in the ministry and, and uh, men in the ministry and women preachers, etc., etc. Uh, a great deal of their arguments and discussions along this line are, are extremely flawed because they don't understand what a ministry is to begin with. They don't understand what uh, a pastor is to begin with. A minister is a servant. He isn't a ruler. He isn't there to dictate doctrine. He isn't there to interpret the Bible for you. That's his private interpretation. He isn't there to become some sort of ruler over your mind. He's there to serve. Hopefully, he's a man of wisdom and understanding, and when he speaks, he speaks wisdom and understanding, but... You aren't to accept what he says simply because he has some sort of authoritarian position because he isn't to exercise authority over your body or over your mind or over your thinking. Only the Holy Spirit is to write the laws of God on your heart and your mind. And, of course, we're going to get in the next two hours, we're going to get into this, and we're going to actually keep coming back to this because we're going to talk about Levitical laws and, and what it means to be ordained and, and as we brought up in blog talk, was Christ an atheist? Well, from a certain point of view, Christ was an atheist. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in G-O-D. But is that capital G-O-D or small G-O-D? He doesn't put his faith in the small G-O-D. The people who put their faith in the small G-O-D will think he's an atheist because they don't believe in the gods which they have chosen for themselves. So from their point of view, Christ was an atheist. He didn't believe in those gods. That's why Christians were called atheists by Romans, a tax revenue system to support a system of social welfare. Augustus gave huge sums, supported almost half the people on the dole in Rome out of his own pocket. But that wasn't going to go on under Nero. So if you wanted to keep getting those benefits that you were addicted to, they had to tax somebody. Well, they taxed foreigners, but that wasn't enough. The real wealth was in Rome, so they started taxing Romans. But Christians weren't a part of that system. How did how did you get subject where they could start taxing you? You had to sign up for that that lesser citizenship. Not Romeos, but Quirit. 
You had to sign up for that. They did the same thing in Judea. You had to sign up for this subject citizenship. Somewhere you had to become registered at birth to say that you were eligible for that benefit of citizenship, the privileges of that citizenship. You had to receive some of those benefits, like public education, which they also had in Rome. Not as pervasive as we have. We're far more Roman than the Romans. We've done everything to a greater and greater degree. They are uh, very clearly what we are today. Read Rome versus us, which is one of our articles. But anyway, the uh, Romans went a particular way towards socialism, the free bread, as you always hear about, and free circuses, free entertainment. And, of course, we have that. We call it TV, Coliseum in a Box is what I call the TV. I mean, when I was a boy or young man, I could sit there eating dinner on a TV tray watching the U.S. military napalm villages in Vietnam. But the Romans were barbaric and their Coliseums. Most of what went on in the Coliseums is not what we've been led. The Coliseums were around for hundreds of years. They actually shut down the Coliseum once because they actually accidentally killed an elephant in one of their staged military uh, shows. Because that's really what they originally, the gladiators fought with blunted swords. They don't want to kill a gladiator. They fought with blunted swords, but eventually that wasn't enough. They wanted to see real blood. Well, we have that today in TV, real blood. We just send newsmen out to film the wars and watch them kill people and shoot people and drag people to the streets. And our own lust for blood is satisfied as we sit there comfortable in our homes watching the Colosseum in a box we call TV. We see much more butchery. Now, you know, you can actually even the entertainment system. If you watch the old movie Psycho, way back to black and white, you don't actually see the woman get killed. You just see this kind of gray-colored water going down in the tub, and you realize that she had just been murdered by this crazy man in the Bates Motel. A little bizarre, but not too macabre. But today, now if you go watch the, I haven't watched the 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 new the newest version of uh, Psycho, but uh, you actually have to see the flesh cut in order for it to be entertainment. We have degenerated into far worse than the Roman Empire. And the amazing thing, when when we eventually have this society break down, you will see that same bloody massacres again. The same indifference to death and destruction again. On a greater scale than the Holocaust of Soviet Union and, and Germany of World War II. We've moved completely into a barbaric state. We just have VCRs and cell phones now. And we need to change. 
And most of you will not change. Most of you will not want to return to the ways of Christ. Because most of you are too selfish. But some of you are beginning to wake up. So you need to start doing what Christ said. Start forming that kingdom of God and his righteousness by stop being selfish, by start giving away, just like Christ who was rich and made himself poor. Christ was always rich. I, last night we, uh, I was taking care of my grandkids while my wife was serving meals for uh, an event here. And so I, I popped in Jesus of Nazareth, the movie, three, uh, I think there's three uh, old uh, VHS tapes in, the, in that movie. And they watched the first one, and they were just full of questions, asking about this and about that. And uh, uh, they, I actually can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> it escapes me. But, oh, they they made Jesus out as a poor carpenter and Joseph as a poor carpenter. And, and you know, and that's a great little fairy tale. But the fact is Joseph was a member of one of the richest families in the Roman Empire. And so was Jesus. And And Jesus traveled extensively, very wealthy family. Uh, his uncle was one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire. I mean, his cousin's uh, father was high priest. And so the reality is Jesus did make himself poor. He gave his wealth away when he was baptized by John the Baptist and began to serve as a public servant of the people and began to teach his apostles how to do the same. They were the government of Judea for all those who received the baptism of Jesus Christ as opposed to the baptism of Herod. Because, see, that's how you joined that enfranchised citizenry. You got baptized and you got registered and you were on the road. You were now eligible for benefits. And how did they pay for those benefits? They taxed the people in a system of sacrifice, Corbin. That's how it worked. It was a government that forced the contributions of the people, something Samuel called Saul foolish for doing. We do that every day today and we call it government. It is not God's government, it's man's government. You want God's government, you're going to have to come together in the only practical way, which is the same way they've done for thousands of years. You gather together in small groups and you connect that group with dedicated ministers who want to serve. They don't. You will know that a minister is more dedicated because he's a man of service. You see him uh, often operating at less than uh, par with the rest of the people in his congregation that he is a tireless worker. He is the husband of one wife. His house is in order. I mean, his kids may not be perfect, but his house is in order. And he does not want to isolate his congregation from the rest of the people. He wants to bring his congregation so that they know the rest of the people in the network, the other ministers in the network. Because they're seeking not a congregation, but a kingdom. 
there's a lot of other signs and we'll look at that. And one of the questions that we will talk about in uh, the second half is this idea of ordination and who's ordained and who's not ordained and how do you know who's ordained and how do you get, uh, what does that involve to be an ordained minister of the church? And the answers, as usual, will be completely different probably than what you are used to. And then in another half hour, we'll talk about the Levitical laws. Do they pertain today? Well, God is the same today as he was yesterday, so they must, right? Or do they? Well, they do. But the problem is, is your perspective on the Levitical laws, what they mean. What is the precept? You've unmoored the precepts of the Levitical laws from the law of God. But you cannot un unmoor the consequences of disobeying the law of God. No matter what you do, no matter how strong a government you create, the consequences will still be there. So we're going to talk about these different things, but we also are going to let you call in with your own questions, or you can go to the chat room and you can uh, put your questions in the chat room put lots of question marks by it whenever you type in a question you want us to address. It makes it easier for the moderator to pick out those questions because I can't read the chat room while I'm talking. I, I don't chew gum on the show either. <laughs> I don't chew gum off the show, but uh, uh, it takes all my focus to keep staying in the present, trying to preach the kingdom. Uh, and so, therefore, I'm not going to be reading the chat room, but we have somebody who will monitor it. The number you can call, if you want to call into the show, is 559-726-1300. And I'll give it again, 559-726-1300, and then you have to type in a code, and that's a little bit harder number to remember, so you have to be ready to write that down, and followed by star six. But it's 795-132, 795-132. So if you have a question, you can call in with that. Chat room's a good place to put your question because a lot of people, when they call in with a question, they want to go on and on and not just get to the question. <laughs> get to the question. Uh, does not use up valuable air time uh, on stuff that's not going to be a part of the question. Most of the questions that you might have are, are, are basic questions and, and think of questions that will help others because that's the nature of the kingdom. You're not asking a question just for yourself. You're asking a question for everybody because you want to understand. You want to share that understanding. God did not need to create man. It was in God's nature, though, to create man. That's a sacrifice. He gives up his life that you may have some life. He created you. He empowered you to make choices. That is the nature of God. So that should be the nature of you because you were made in the image of God. So you're not about just saving yourself or getting your own little congregation or... or getting yourself up on a pedestal, you're about giving life to others in a way that their life will prosper, not weaken them. 
So you see how that works, and that's the kind of kingdom you have. Today we have a society that has become weaker and weaker and weaker to the point where people are raped in the streets and nobody does anything about it. People are robbed and nobody does anything about it. Even the courts take people's property away, take their children away unfairly, unjustly. And you sit back singing in your churches and thinking God will be pleased. He will say, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. So anyway, that's that's part of the thing. Now, the other thing we've got coming up here is the uh, fall festival, as well as eventually we hope to have at least three or four festivals a year. And that's going to take uh, full-time people working at it. I'm just surprised at how much time this is taking as it is. Uh, we have uh, a big struggle just to stay afloat here uh, and take care of our own needs and feed. And we don't live extravagantly or anything, but we have to uh, uh, provide uh, a living for our family. And preparing for the retreat is going to consume a huge amount of time and energy, which we gladly give. Uh, and uh, evidently there are some other people that have come and are talking about coming in advance to prepare. And uh, But it is going to take some money, and we're going to apply for some money amongst uh, the congregations and amongst uh, uh, the friends of his church so that we can buy materials. And we labor for free still because there isn't enough contributions coming in to pay anybody a wage. <laughs> But uh, we're going to need some materials to improve the, the retreat grounds so that we can have more and more retreats. Now, we, we've given up everything we've saved over our lives in order to purchase a piece of property, but we could have thousands and thousands and thousands of people show up here annually. We could have people coming through every week, every month for training and preparation for the kingdom and learning the ways of the kingdom, and we have very little time to do this, certainly no time to waste. And so if you want to be a part of that, contribute what you can. It doesn't have to be money. It could be time. It could be energy. It could be uh, combing the Internet to find more people who might be seeking the, the kingdom, sharing these messages as many different fronts and, and means of communication as you can. Word of mouth is certainly essential, but you also have to do some study and preparation for yourself. So we'll return and answer some of these other questions uh, in a moment. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States in 1963. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings, for we are opposed around the world by a monolithic 
and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no secret is revealed. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Ladies and gentlemen, the president today. You were both in skull and bones, the secret society. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to lead. It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. listen to me. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we were going to talk about this word ordained. Uh, I knew there were a number of words in the uh, Bible that were could be translated into ordained, and I, I couldn't remember the number, so I actually looked it up in the Free Church Report, which you'd be surprised how much information is in these books that we give you free online, as well as all the audios we have that are supporting these different chapters in that book. And I, what I ought to really do is go through and talk about each chapter individually in an organized fashion, and you can use it as a study guide. But the New Testament, there are 14 different words that uh, can be translated into one form of this word ordained. 14 different words uh, into this idea of appoint or appointed. Uh, five of them are translated or defined as to ordain. Five completely different words. And so you have to know which one doesn't make the translation incorrect, 
although it might be a poor translation, in my personal opinion. I don't want to retranslate the Bible uh, so that you have, you know, the translation of the Bible according to Gregory. Then again, that comes into the area of private interpretation of the original writing. What you want to do is do some study and some homework and find out. Once you know, then you, and it's written in your heart what Christ is really talking about, a kingdom, a form of government, one form of government. In one quote, we see Jesus is appointing. What word did he use when he was appointing? Uh, we, we, uh, after these things, the Lord appointed, he says. Okay? He uses the word that means to proclaim anyone as elected. So, you know, there's, you know, I can't uh, emphasize enough how much you have to uh, study and examine uh, in order to understand what is going on in the Bible. Because once you start getting one mis- or preconceived notion, uh, you can get farther and farther away from what the Bible is really talking about until you are absolutely lost and and can't even begin to find your way back to the real gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, the mere idea that we don't want to talk about government, we just want to talk about God. Well, God has talked about government from the beginning. We just do, you know, we're too religious, uh, or we're, you talk too much about government, we just want to talk about religion. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, and most of how you do that is through your government. And the government you have chosen to do that through exercises authority one over the other, and Jesus said we want to be like that government of the other nations. He said that directly to his apostles because he was appointing a government. A nation, a peculiar people that did not operate like Rome, forcing the contributions of the people in order to provide for welfare. Did not operate like Herod, forcing the contributions of the people. And you were not to sign up for the Corbin of Herod in order to obtain these benefits through covetous means. We just heard... Those of you who heard the commercial that was just on there about what John F. Kennedy was talking about years ago, to covet means, he says. They gain power through covet means, through covetousness. They have made you human resources, merchandise, just like Peter said, because Peter was talking about government. Great swelling words, they were going to promise you liberty. Who promises you liberty? Government. The Bible is about government. And the church is one form of government. And the ministers of the church should be titular leaders, leading you to a way in which you can care for yourselves without forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Someone sent me a web page. Uh, I sent it to the PCM group. And other PCMs could share that if they wish, but it's a, a web page about building Christendom. 
has all the different people, Doug Bershaw, James Bruin, uh, Dr. Peter uh, Kojanowski, <laughs> can I say that? Uh, John Condit, uh, Robert Hanton, all these people are going to be at a seminar on August 24th, 25th, and 26th. You only have to pay $250 at the door to come in and listen to these guys speak. Do any of these guys, any of these guys, John Sharp, managing editor of IH, IHS Press, figure that one out. Um, do any of these guys understand that the church is a government? It's one form of government. It is the government you should have faith in and depend upon because it's the only government that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. All your social welfare should come from them. I don't know how many people I know who say they're in the kingdom. They're just running around hiding. Really in the kingdom. Oh, yeah, they help people out now and then, but they're not an organized system. They're neglecting the administration of the kingdom, the daily administration, the caring for the widows and orphans and needy of society. They're not contributing to find the lost sheep. Oh, they they look in their spare time. Oh, they go around and, and condemn other people because they might have a driver's license or a social security number or might be contributing to the unrighteous mammon. But even Christ said, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Even uh, Moses said, pay your tally of bricks. But glean in the field at night. Seek the kingdom of God in your spare time. And devote more and more of your spare time until you start finding it. And how do you find it? You start coming together in the character of Christ, in the name of Christ, in the ways of Christ. Make straight the way of the Lord. Everybody wants to start with revelations, come out of her, my people, but who is going to make straight the way of the Lord? What is the way of the Lord? It's a society bound together by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. A society that cares for one another. A society that should be prospering above all other societies. You know, I talked earlier about, you know, we're going to request some funds to help us, you know, build the... Uh, you know, sanitary latrines and uh, and uh, a shed to uh, uh, keep food in, to uh, put up a little fence to keep livestock off of the camping area uh, so that the grass can grow back. Um, and eventually we want to put out another well to irrigate the ground so that it becomes, you know, grassier. Now, we're going to do it all whether anybody helps us or not, but it's important for you to help because... It's important for you to learn to start helping. It's important for you to learn to stop being selfish. I mean, how many of you actually tithe to any minister anywhere? Ten percent. You cannot form a free government by giving a few dollars here and there. You actually have to make a commitment. And there are men who are actually dedicating their lives. We have a couple guys here that are helping and, uh, you know, they needed quarters to do the laundry at the laundromat. And uh, they want to buy the quarters. They work all day, and then they want to pay us. Well, that's a good sign for uh, them. But, you know, they're already sacrificing, and they still want to pay their way. They are paying their way by sacrificing. 
and they need your support. And whoever you have as a minister, whatever part of the country or part of the world, you need to be supporting them. Because you need to be giving. You need to be sacrificing because that's the nature of God. That's the nature of Christ. He, though he was rich, he made himself poor. I'm not asking you to make yourself poor. I'm asking you to start the flow from the rock. And all I'm doing is talking. I'm not going to send guys to your house and force you. But you need to start doing that so that you may have life more abundant. Because there are no selfish people in the kingdom of heaven. None. Not allowed. Don't fit. They wouldn't be comfortable anyway. <laughs> and that's what you have to repent of. So this question of ordained. Uh, if we have this this word ordained, uh, 14 different ones, 14 different Greek words translated appoint or appointed. Five completely different words translated ordained. And one of those words in reference to Christ is simply to proclaim one as elected to an office. To every city and place, whether he himself comes. Now, what am I quoting? I'm quoting Luke 10.1 After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. In other words, he was proclaiming somebody as appointed. Who really appointed them? God appointed them. And Jesus saw that God appointed them and proclaimed them as appointed. He proclaimed anyone as elected to office. He believed they were elected by God. That's the only appointment we do. That's the only ordination we do. We recognize. So how long does it take you to be ordained a minister? twinkling of an eye how long does it take me to recognize that you might be ordained as a minister so that I could proclaim it and bear witness to it well I'm a little slower <laughs> it might take a year it might take three years traditionally it often has said three years what's your rush what are you doing during that time doing what you should be doing and that's how I know you are ordained because you doeth the will of the Father. You sacrifice yourself. You sacrifice your life. You sacrifice your wealth. You turn your life over to Christ 100%. Your wealth is given up so that you have no personal state. You become a bondservant of Christ. And I see you doing that. I will proclaim it. Now, you don't have to depend on me. Maybe you've got somebody else who sees you. That's your choice. If you want a chain of authentication, you need to have a network of people recognizing you. And this is what we've laid out in the Free Church Report, how you can do that. I have someone 
we'll call him JP, who uh, was one of our ministers of record, and he decided he was too frustrated in trying to deal with people who just sit on the fence all the time. I was recently accused of sitting on the fence by somebody who hasn't taken the time to find out what I am doing. I wrote him and said, what do you mean sitting on the fence? I don't get it. And he won't respond back. He loves to defame people, be a backbiter, and uh, and often a liar, but he lies to himself, so you can't expect him to tell the truth to others. He's done this for years. And he's lost in his own lies and deceptions and imagination. And, and he, when you try to confront him with it, he just hides because he's a coward. Nothing new in that. Everybody is. Adam was a coward. That's why God found him hiding. He did wrong and didn't want to admit it. So he hid. One man sins. And we all are descendants of that same sin. And we will all have the same proclivity of hiding from what we have done. Whether it's, you know, murdered somebody, caused the death of somebody, caused the injury to somebody, caused somebody to become lost, or we take it to, you know, other other aspects of our own existence. And that becomes the evidence of who we are. And so we hide that evidence because we don't want to admit we're not really as good or as holy as we want to appear to be. So anyway... That that one word there is clearly that you recognize. And we talk about uh, uh, another place we see the word appoint in uh, Luke twenty two twenty nine, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. That's an actual government. That's a government word. He's appointing to them a government as the Father appointed him. The church is not all of the kingdom, but it is a representative element of the kingdom and a kingdom unto itself a government unto itself, and it is to operate according to the form and design that Christ said. You are not to exercise authority one over the other, but you are to love one another, feed your sheep, protect, take care of, in a religious way, the needy of your society. No Christian should be going to anyone who calls himself a benefactor but exercises authority and still call himself a follower of Christ. Now, I know many of you have to do that because you're on Social Security or welfare or whatever. Social Security is not money deposited for you. It's money paid in to take care of the needy at the time you pay it in. It's not supposed to be on deposit. It's supposed to be there for you by the hand of those who contribute when you have a need. The problem with that system of social welfare is it's not voluntary. Once you sign up, you have to give in what those who exercise authority say you have to give in. 2%, 5%, 7 14%. And that money you go in pays the ministers of your religious institution called Social Security. And in reality, because it also includes income tax, you all under a vow of poverty. 
everyone with a social security number is a member of a religious order under a vow of poverty and there is paper witness that they are ordained to be under that vow of poverty. You're becoming human resources for the institution that you have created. But that institution was not created in the image of God or the image of the kingdom of God because the taskmasters beat you, fine you, oppress you if you don't pay enough, if you don't sacrifice enough, if you don't contribute enough. And they would be classified as not good servants, according to the parable of Christ. But the good servant would be like the church who says, okay, you owe 10%. You owe 20% for a peace offering, you know, 10% more for a peace offering. And, a, and an offering to take care of the needy, which actually comes to about 30%, although you don't have to pay that every year. And actually you wouldn't have to pay anywhere near that if you had an efficient network taking care of the needy. And you had people like those who come to work and want to pay you to work for the kingdom because they're not selfish. They don't want to be selfish. They want to repent of selfishness. So if you turn around and start doing what Christ said, you'll be taxing yourselves and caring for one another. And you would see the the true church established by Jesus Christ prospering even as the world collapses around it. And, of course, then the jealous head of the beast will come up and try to destroy you, too. But then you can cry out, and God will hear you. Because as it stands right now, God will not hear you. Some people think that... Uh, they're serving God and, and that they see healing and that they see miracles taking place. Evil can perform miracles. And the fact is, if you understood how your own body and minds work, you can, you can be doing what you might think is a miracle. Just by your thoughts and your actions. It's not a miracle, it's just the way it is. Even the word miracle is a kind of a misnomer, but we won't go into that now. Let's stick to this concept of point, and I appoint unto you a kingdom. Christ very clear about that. He didn't say, in 2,000 years I'm going to appoint unto your successors a kingdom. And he appointed... But uh, the author chose a different Greek word there. Theatizemi, or thimai, uh, depending on how it's used in the sentence, which contains uh, the word pithemi, defined as to arrange, dispose of one's affairs, something that belongs to one, to dispose of by will, make a testament, to make a covenant, to enter a covenant with one. So he entered in, this is the new covenant. You have a kingdom that he appointed to men who were not to exercise authority one over the other. Those are your ministers. We talked about Henry VIII. 
uh, this is the day in history where he killed uh, his uh, his minister and married his what, fifth wife on this day in history. He was your minister. He had the power to exercise authority one over the other. He eventually claimed to be the head of the church, and he was the head of the church established by Constantine. He wasn't the head of the church established by Christ. That's because Christ said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, and yet there he is actually beheading people. He beheaded one of my own relatives. And he beheaded several of my relatives. <laughs> That's why we don't have that name anymore. <laughs> I always say that uh, we changed our name because they were beheading us faster than we could make new heads. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, is, you don't understand. And the people of the world, maybe some of you are beginning to understand, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God requires that you be a part of a government that exercises no authority one over the other, but operates by faith, open charity. Simply being out of the system, even if you were, does not put you in the kingdom. Helping out somebody who has a flat tire on the side of the road is a great thing, but that's not pure religion. If you're not seeking to find the lost sheep, you're not doing what Christ said. So we have a couple other quotes here, and he says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the heart of all men, show whether of the two thou hast chosen. Now, this is in Acts 1.24. The word show there is actually the word that is often translated a point. A point. Which of these two thou hast chosen? It's God who appoints, ordains. It's us that bears witness to that ordination. And once you have that witness, you can go out into the world and say, it's not me that says that I'm ordained. And I was talking to you about JP. And we'll have to talk about that when we get back after this, this half of the show. But we need to understand that Christ preached the kingdom at hand. And that's what we're supposed to be preaching. Be back in a moment. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, 
books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at LibertyRadioLive.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment Rights Media Group programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $20. For any single program on tape, MP3 CD or CD for only $15. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation under the heavenly Father with grace, mercy, and justice for all. So if you have any questions about some of the things that we're talking about, just go to the chat room that's associated with this uh, station, and you'll find a link there on the uh, station page. And ask your question. Put a couple of question marks behind it so that the moderator can pass it on to me. And he can interrupt me anytime he wants and tell me there's a question there. There's a question there. There's a question there. Okay, there you go. Actually, not so much a question, but someone in the chat room would like you to, or like to make sure that you make it clear that um, being a Levite is not the only job or only position in the system. There's the Levites and the congregations. Uh, there's Levites and there's congregations. Oh, congregants. Oh, congregants. Oh, 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 okay. I can almost picture who that is. <laughs> You'd probably be right. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the servants, uh, who really oversees the servants? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, but where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Uh, does it dwell in a stone temple, or does it dwell in the hearts of men? So the elders of every congregation, that's the men, the ten family heads, who are the elders. An elder is simply the eldest member of a family. In other words, uh, Shem was an elder of his family. Even into the death, uh, uh, I think actually in some uh, chronologies he died after Abraham, but uh, he, uh, some I think have him dying just before Abraham died. But anyway, Shem was the elder of his family and was tied to by all of his obedient sons, grandsons, great-great-grandsons, and great-great-great-great-great-grandsons, because Abraham 
was nine generations from Shem. And according to some, many uh, ancient writings, that Shem was Melchizedek, and that's why he was tithing to Melchizedek, which is a term in ancient writings used to describe, I mean, very ancient writings used to describe uh, Shem. It was a title, Righteous King of Peace. Uh, because he took the place of his own father, Noah, who was off doing his own thing, and and rightfully so, because it's usually the eldest son is who's the priest of the family. And Noah was the family of mankind, or the family of the Adamic family, who was to be the leader of the people. But as leaders in the kingdom, they're titular. They don't exercise authority, but they do exercise righteousness. And that's what Shem was doing. He was doing the job, being the high priest of the people of God. Of course, a lot of people decided to go out of the presence of God and create their own city-states like Sodom. And the, and the five kings that uh, were going around and conquering city-states like Sodom. And those five kings were defeated by who? By Abraham and a handful of shepherds? No, by Abraham and a network of altars that were living altars that operated by Faith Open Charity. Uh, this Olympic Society, and I don't, don't know if I'm using the right word, but it's uh, the fact that you create a society that operates on Faith Open Charity and, and the perfect law of liberty and the bonds of love and caring for one another is what gives that society power because that society is operating according to the ways of Christ which allows the individual elders and families of that society to become temples of the Holy Spirit. If you're selfish, the Holy Spirit will not dwell in you. You will not see. When you hide your eyes from the truth of your own wickedness, you will not see what's going on around you. You will be blind. And it will be the blind leading the blind. So the elders of the congregations, each... Levite was to be a servant of the tabernacles of the congregation. That means the tents of the congregation. In other words, ten elders picked a Levite from a pool of Levite to be their minister. And they, they were his support. They paid 10% of what they earned to him. And his job was to serve them as the health, education, welfare, and government. But they had to keep an eye on him. If he was not good minister, they should. And if he stayed not good, they should pick somebody else. And this natural interacting network, because he was also to pick a minister, formed a nation, a peculiar nation that operated on faith, open church. This is exactly how the first century church was organized. It wasn't until Constantine that they started having this top-down system. So you have, actually, every minister has at least two sources of overseership. One is the minister he picks is going to keep an eye on him and say, you know, I don't want you to be in my congregation of ministers. In other words, he's an overseer. They call him a bishop, a uh, the word is uh, an episcopal. 
He doesn't exercise authority. He can't tell you what to do, but he can make it darned uncomfortable for you to be bad or to be a poor minister because he's going to point it out. And if you're not doing the sin of Adam, which is hiding from the truth, you'll admit it. Well, the other source of overseership is the congregants, the tents, the elders of those tents of the congregation. Now, they're a free assembly because they have no corporate nature to them whatsoever. But they have to watch their minister. They tell him what they believe the doctrine is, and the minister can tell them what he thinks the doctrine is, but he cannot dictate to them, and they cannot dictate to him. But what makes them a congregation of God is that they contribute to his welfare as he contributes to them. It says in the Bible, you tithe to them according to their service. And just common sense will tell you, okay, this is your health, education, and welfare. This is your small business administration. This is your economic advisor, your financial advisor, your legal advisor. He's your minister. He does all these jobs. He wears all these hats. He has to be intelligent. He has to show an ability to organize. He Excuse me. His ability to organize is not ability to order you, but to bring order to what you and the other nine elders are doing. And he does this through information. You know, I heard recently in the PCM group they're talking, and these these guys talking about the relationship of man and woman. They talk about women being singers. Now, if you read the Free Church Report, you understand that singers are not just about singing. Not just a musical thing. You know, I always ask people, okay, do you know the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? Can you hum me a few bars? Can you play it on a piano? It's not about singing. It's about communication. It's about being in harmony with the truth. And so... Those elders need to be watching their minister. They need to be challenging uh, their minister. And, you know, that was one of the things I just sent out in uh, the, the little short network newsletter that went out to everybody on the new, uh, network, uh, where I, I think I said something about them challenging you to challenge us, to ask us questions. You see... In the kingdom, because it's a networking system, everybody's watching each other's back. Everybody is rebuking one another. As many as I love, I also rebuke. So in other words, if the elders of those congregations actually love their minister, they will say, hey, you know, don't get up on no pedestal. Don't try to become the authority in our minds about what we should believe. You know, I'm still, you know, like the question that came up recently was Melchizedek Shem. You know, a lot of people, modern churches actually think that Melchizedek and Shem are one and the same. But if you go back in ancient history, there are even more that believe that. It's commonly accepted. Like I said, the, even before, uh, if you go back in the ancient, ancient writings, they're referring and addressing Shem as Melchizedek. 
so it's not a new idea, it's an old idea, and it actually makes sense, because Melchizedek, according to Bible chronology, was still alive, and he was the, uh, uh, Shem was still alive, and he would be the highest uh, son of Noah, the high priest, the pontificate Maximus, and he just bypassed nine generations and said, hey, I bless Abraham. Abraham is to come after me. Why? Because he was setting up these living altars of free donations to take care of the needy. And when they needed an army to fight off these five kings, they had it overnight, instantly. Everybody came together. They had the hue and cry of society. If there was a disaster, they would have been there for each other because they had these altars all connected to a network of faith, hope, and charity. What kind of power can you imagine could come against such a vast network? And that's why we're having the retreat. Yeah, what are we going to have? 30, 40, 50 people? I keep hearing about more people. Don't really have a head count of who's coming. But the reality is that if we start working together, start putting up the web pages, and, start, and I get the time to write these articles and start promoting it on News and Views, and on this radio station and get to be guests on other radio stations, we can get more and more people to come and make this a bigger and bigger event. And it was kind of interesting. We don't usually lose the sheep. They usually always come in every night, but they didn't come in one night when we had uh, Scott and several others here, and we had to go out and find them. <laughs> ended up, uh, it, it was not a good omen, but we never found them. They actually came back home. I don't remember who it was that actually found found them back at home, but they came back, and, and there they were. They had all come back here to this place instead of where they were supposed to be, and we we kind of missed them in the night. But the important thing is that we were all out looking. We were all out trying to find them. There were people on foot. There were people in cars. Uh, where did they go to? And they had done something. There probably had been coyotes in the field and kind of moved them around because they went where they normally didn't go. But we did find them, and we got them all back where they were supposed to be. But we had to work together to do that. And somebody went back and stumbled on them, and there they were. And we have to work as a team. And the uh, skills that we learn in working as a team will make a big difference. But back to this concept of ordained of God, are you ordained to be an elder? Are you ordained to be a Levite, a minister of the church? Well, that we'll find that out. The proof is in the pudding. We have to try it out and try you out, and you have to try us out. We see what works and what doesn't work, and in that process that we learn. It's like if you want to learn to play football, you got to get out on the field. You've got to choose up teams and give it a shot. You have to practice, develop that teamwork. So the festival that's coming up in uh, end of September and October is a great opportunity to start building that network. Start. Uh, getting those web pages up, getting your face on there. If you're going to make a presentation, if you want to make a presentation, it doesn't matter. The presentation could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The the Feast of Tabernacles was to be open to strangers in your midst. 
It was a festival. You brought whatever you produced to sell, to trade, to exchange. But you also brought extra to share. And you were to leave and not leave the Levites empty-handed. But it was a festival. It was a learning experience. It was also an opportunity to get those network connections firmed up. So those ten elders picked a minister and those and ten ministers like that picked a minister and ten ministers like that picked a minister so that overnight they could have an army of 30,000 people. They didn't need an army of 30,000 people. They could say, okay, too many. If you, I let you do this, you'll think you'll do it yourself. So you send these back and they get it down to 300 people and they go and defeat the enemy. But they, the fact that 30,000 showed up shows you what kind of network they had. They were willing. You don't have that today. You can have 100 people on the street and somebody being murdered or raped and nobody shows up. You know, like that theater. Yeah, a guy had a shotgun, but there were people everywhere. Nobody had a concealed weapons for them. Nobody had a gun on them. Nobody had a knife on them. Nobody could overpower this guy, come at him from behind. You know, it takes a little bit to talk a shotgun. Everybody's just running to save themselves. So this is what you're going to have. This is what you're going to prove. This is the kind of society you've created. Christ preached another kind of society, another way. And that's the way you need to go. So anyway, back to uh, the, the question about uh, ordain. There were a number of side questions on that. Uh, what all is involved in that becoming ordained? Well, you know, God ordained you, so what's involved in us recognizing that? Well, you have to work together. Try to form a congregation of record. See how you work well with people. See how you interact with people, how you solve the problems that will come up. <laughs> Some of our, our uh, ministers uh, have found trying to maintain the congregation has been a tremendous exercise because the elders are not really elders. They're not really being the elders. They're not really independent, uh, strong-minded, forgiving, giving. And they have good qualities, but the, the kingdom of God has very high standards. And we are very far away from it. So it's, a, it's going to be a real exercise in patience to move in that direction. It's very easy to get lost in, oh, well, I've, I've got my things to do. Oh, I wanted to get this done, and I wanted to get that done, and I wanted, wanted to fix this up so that, you know, this was nicer. I want to remodel my kitchen. I wanted to get my lawn mowed so I forget about other people. You're not being Minutemen for Christ, and we are so far behind in that sacrifice of time and energy and even funds. we got a long ways to go. How long does it take and why? It takes a long time for us to trust you as being a truly ordained minister because we've been stunned by people who said 
They wanted to be a minister, but wouldn't keep records, weren't honest, kept things from us. We've been deceived. We've all, how many people are afraid to pick a minister out there, pick a contact minister because they've been burned? How long did it take people to decide to be a contact minister? Yeah, that's why it takes long, because we've been slothful. We haven't hit the ground running. We've been slow. But it should take a certain amount of time for you to prove that you're worthy of being called ordained. Test of time. Test of what you do. The more you do, the shorter the time. What's expected from one seeking to be in an order? Well, uh, we have several different stages. We have what we call an aspirant, somebody who's thinking about it. And that's very easy. Just proclaim, I'm thinking about being in an order. Put it in a letter. Now the people who are already formed an order or whatever uh, are wanting to form an order need to know as much about you as possible. If, you, if you've lived a long time, write down the history of your life. Were you married? Do you have children? What kind of jobs have you had? Have you ever been in trouble with the law? Have you resolved those issues? You know, whatever it is, your life is your life. Tell us about it. Don't leave out anything. Don't hide like Adam. It's your confession of who you are and who you've been and where you want to go. Why you want to be in an order. What you want to accomplish. Why are you writing this all down? So they can read it and begin to get to know you, especially if you live a long ways away. And also they can start finding out if you tell the truth because in the, in the, you know, it's like uh, Mark Twain says, Telling the truth, you don't have it nearly as much you have to remember if you always tell the truth. Because you only have to remember the truth, but if you start lying, you've got to remember all those lies and keep them in order. So if you write down the history of your life and then we find out, wait a minute, who's this person? Oh, I was married to her too. So you've been married twice? Well, no, actually three times. We don't, we don't like those surprises. <laughs> <laughs> write it down so we can see how good you are at remembering the truth. And that's just one aspect of it. We still have to develop trust and, and watch and, and pray about it, and that takes time. But you're ordained from the beginning, so then if you want to be more than an aspirant, if you want to become a novitiate, well, that, I mean, that's the beginning. That's what novitiate means, beginning, novice, new. You start doing it. You start being that minister to other people, that health education and welfare to other people, but you do it as a matter of record so we can see what you're doing. If we were tied together at a hip, I'd see everything you were doing. But if you're in another town, I'm not going to see everything you're doing unless you tell me what you're doing. And you put it in writing so that I can check it out. That's why congregations of record are a great place to start even if the congregation is somewhat dispersed. Because we'll start seeing you are actually doing it. 
and then you know coming to feasts and and uh, getting and receiving others when they come by and and working together with others will tell us more and more. And the more we do that, the shorter the time will come. But there are some other aspects to being a minister in an order under a vow of poverty. Everybody in that order has to get to know you because one guy can't let you in. They all have to agree. And it's a job. And that's one of the reasons why J.P. has moved away. He wants it to form an order of his own. Because he couldn't quite get along with everybody there. He got along with me, I guess, but he didn't get along with everybody else. Or something. It just something made him want to do it on his own. But he's been calling me on a regular basis. Anyway, trying to get more information on how to do it. But he's going to run into some of the same problems. And that's the path he's chosen. And in the kingdom, you get to do that. But, you know... Your choices and your decisions you will have to pay for. There will be repercussions. So uh, eventually also in, in the novitiate stage, your finances have to be an open book, you know, uh, because you're going to become a part of a family, a brotherhood, and you're going to own all things in common. So you have to be ready to reveal all that. Once ordained, what are his or her responsibilities? Well, it depends. Your responsibilities, you're ordained by God, and your responsibilities do what God is leading you to do in your heart. Now, within the order, maybe you're a real good bookkeeper, and you're real good with finances, so they'll say, why don't you be the bursar of the order? Maybe you'll be real good at gardening. Maybe you'll be good at farming. Maybe you'll be good at horticulture. Maybe you'll be good at congregations and people relations. And so those will be your main focus. Chances are you'll try to learn a little bit of all these things, but you're going to have individual talents and skills, and what you're going to be doing will be dependent upon you, but your economy will be tied to the order. In order for them to do that, to bring you into the order, they're going to need to know to trust you. And remember this idea of order. You know, we have to, every time you use that word, you're going to, it may be slightly defined differently in your mind as time goes on, but all that is is a congregation of ministers. But because the minister is giving up his life, it's more than just a free association or a free assembly of, of elders. Because the elders don't own all things in common. They own their own property. They, their, their things have been returned to them, and they own their own family. They're just a free assembly. But the order becomes a family. You all become brothers with a common father for a common purpose, to serve Christ. It's a hard job. It requires you have to love your neighbor more than yourself. It's a very self-sacrificing job. And so, you know, that it's not for everybody. But everybody in the kingdom's a minister, because every elder is a minister. He just ministers not, you know, the Levite never stood between God and man. That wasn't his job. His job was to help men stand alone so they didn't have to make other men their gods. They didn't have to make uh, covenants with other men. 
So anyway, uh, it would probably be good in uh, the last half hour to get into this whole idea of Levitical law and how that pertains. And we're not going to be able to go through all that in detail, but we can certainly cover some of the precepts of that Levitical law. Um, again, when I was talking to you about the free church report, and we talked about uh, this word ordained, and there were several words. There was another one, tasso, or tasso, uh, which uh, is also uh, with a prefix sun, the suno tasso, uh, has a meaning of put in order with or together to arrange, to constitute, to prescribe, and then they use the word appoint and ordain. But it has to do with arranging yourself. And, of course, since we can't exercise authority one over the other, within that order you will arrange yourself according to your own talent. And, and you're doing this with brothers who love you and are concerned and uh, are unselfish. And so you'll, you'll be extremely well organized, but you're organized from the bottom up. No one is dictating to you that you have to do it a particular way. But we are doing it for the purposes of Christ, and those are well-defined. Set men free. To return every man to his family and every man to his possession. To be a government of God, not a government of men. To be a government not like Cain, not like Nimrod, not like Pharaoh, not like Caesar. Not like most of the governments you see, because... We are still benefactors, but we don't just call ourselves benefactors, but depend upon the forced contributions of others. We depend upon free will contributions, and if you don't want to make free will contributions, you can kiss liberty goodbye. Because it ain't going to happen. You're just, you're just fooling yourself thinking you're in the kingdom. Because you still have to sacrifice. You don't have to kill sheep, burn them up, never did. But you have to take care of the needy of your society through free will offerings. So some of those places we see the word tasso show up is like in Luke 7, 8. For I also am a man set, appointed, that's the word, under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Now, we're talking about a Roman here, and we'll tell you another one when we get back, and then we'll get into that Levitical law thing, and who's really your ministers, and what kind of ministers you've chosen because of what kind of person you've been, and we'll see if you're willing to repent and get baptized in the kingdom of God. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com What year is it? The year of the Lord God, the Pope? 
2012 according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar, or 5940 since creation according to the Bible. Did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology from the creation in His Word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath or seventh millennium from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapturous date? Or is it about 60 years off? See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It? and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, if you have any questions, just ask them in the chat room. You got questions. And do you have a question? We do have questions. Okay. Um, one would like to know, how does the order help each family return to a state of liberty? And a follow-up says, do we have to ask to be set free like Moses did in Egypt? Uh, well, of course, Moses said, let my people go because Moses was the rightful pharaoh. He was the heir to the throne. Uh, there was no, the particular pharaoh at that time had no relationship uh, by blood to the original pharaoh. Uh, he was actually the illegitimate uh, son of a uh, concubine uh, to a man who had married 
by some sort of state marriage the actual uh, descendant of Pharaoh, uh, but was only a daughter because there was no son. So bloodline-wise, he had very little claim to the throne. Uh, uh, Moses had been legitimately adopted, and therefore he did have a claim to the throne. But he did not want the throne. He did not want to rule over the people. He didn't want the... Uh, to take the land, he said, you can have the land, you can have the cities, you can have the aqueducts, you can have the Nile. Uh, let my people go, that we may go out and worship the Lord. So that's what they were planning to do, and the guy said no. His heart was hardened. But, of course, this was very important, as we've said before, or because the people who Moses was trying to take out didn't know anything about freedom. They didn't know anything about liberty. They didn't know how to live as a free society, to come together and be Minutemen for righteousness, to back each other up, to protect each other, to work together, to sacrifice for each other. They didn't know how to do that. Now, they were learning during the famine because the government assistance wasn't there. It was overwhelming for the government to provide the social welfare it had provided for before, so they had to provide for themselves. And so that gave them an opportunity while Moses was, you know, negotiating their departure uh, and getting trying to get that permission. God was not idle. People say, so we're just supposed to wait until they say we can go? No, you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop focusing on the end of, you know, of the Bible and Revelations coming out. You don't know how to come out. You don't know how to be in the kingdom. You just know how to be... You know, enemies of the unrighteous famine to be rebels. That's not enough. You have to, to be in the kingdom means that you have formed that society that is bound together by faith, hope, and charity that actually gives of themselves and of their wealth and of their energy and of their time to take care of the business of government. Not the business of ruling over you, but the business of service one to another. So, uh, do we have to ask permission? It's already being asked all the time. We hear people in the news uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, let my people go. Uh, recently we, we talked about we had a bank account for years without any numbers. Absolutely legal. We were a pre-existing customer, and suddenly they wanted to impose on us to go out and get an ITIN. And we don't have to get one. It's not required. They say, oh, because of new regulations, we have to do this. And we showed them the regulations. And this weekend, they're supposedly deciding whether or not they're going to close that account. People says, well, this is uh, just showing you the world is kicking you out. The world isn't kicking you out. The law is still clear. Pre-existing accounts don't have to have an ITIN. If there's no Social Security number available, all you need is ID from the government that you work for, and the church is a government, one form of government, and we've used the idea of the church to fly on airplanes to Washington, D.C., in and out of airports like Los Angeles Airport, use church ID. Okay, that's acceptable, because it's government ID. But what's kicking us out of the bank is the bankers, which is something that we can expect, and they are depriving you of your freedom of religion. They are making it difficult for you to contribute to the church because they're saying you can't contribute to your church through us. We're not going to serve your kind here in this restaurant, bank, or whatever. 
That's a violation of their own laws. The world is on our side in this. So they're not, the world hasn't kicked us out yet. They haven't said you can opt out. They have said it for the ordained ministers that they can be excluded. They've let, they've made it so you can fill out an SS-16 and re-enter their system, but only irrevocably. Once you do, you can never get out again until the collapse of the system. And most people will get out when the system collapses, but they won't survive freedom because they haven't been seeking the kingdom. They think the kingdom is throwing away your driver's license and your ID cards and not using your social security number. That's just being a rebel. It's not being in the kingdom. You have to be doing more. So, uh, yeah, what the minister should be doing is helping people to learn how to survive as a free society. And in that process, uh, you will learn to be unselfish. And in the process of learning to be unselfish, you will become an, uh, a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you will be creating those bonds which connect you to another, not based on contracts, covenants, and constitutions, but based upon faith and hope and charity and honor and love for one another. And you will need those bonds unless, of course, you think you're a kingdom unto yourself and you just want to run for it. So that's what the minister is doing. He is providing an opportunity for you to learn, and it's going to be some fast-track learning here, what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. You know, that, that very quote that I was reading just before the last break, you have to understand how the Roman army had worked. Rome had been a republic. Yeah, they signed up, but, you know, it wasn't... The oaths of allegiance didn't even come around for another almost 100 years for the Roman army. Oaths of allegiance, I'll repeat that, did not come around for the Roman army for almost another 100 years. I think it might have been, from that time period, it might have been about 70 years. But what 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 was he talking about? Can you remember the quote that I was reading? For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Rome, having been a republic, had a, a very unique history at this time. It was Its republic was very much like early Israel. And there was this tremendous honor. And at this very time, the uh, uh, half-brother and, uh, and his son, which would be half-nephew, I guess, of Paul the Apostle, was over in England building charitable works for the people, this idea of freely giving, donating from your own pocket to provide the social welfare system of a culture and, and, and nation was still in a debatable stage at this point in Roman history, although huge numbers of the people were becoming progressives and socialists. 
there were still a lot of people that would come and contribute and build these uh, institutions with free will offerings to take care of the needy. And this is why many Romans became Christians, because they saw this is what the Christians were preaching. But today's Christians say, no, go get a president elected who will provide you with the benefits you want by taking away from your neighbor at the point of a gun. That's not Christianity. That's paganism. The bad paganism. You know, I actually find some pagans today who have thrown out Christ because they didn't really throw out Christ. They threw out modern Christians out of their lives. And they think they're pagans, and they actually have more in common with Christ than some of the people going to the Christian churches who say they believe in Christ. Because they don't want to have any part of socialism. Now, there are pagans who are very socialist, too. But it's all mixed up because we have unmoored the precepts and precepts and principles of Christ from what Christ said. Even last night, when we were watching Jesus of Nazareth, and John the Baptist preaching, I, I always hate, I have never yet seen what I would consider a good rendition of John the Baptist. And that movie has a terrible rendition. And the guy's spitting on you. He can't even, he is so, just such a fanatic. And some of the key phrases of John the Baptist do not even appear in the movie. He's talking about repent. Repent of what? You know, what does that repentance look like? I can tell you what it looks like. John the Baptist told you, but they didn't tell you in the movie. If you have a need, if you lack a coat, if you lack food, if you have something you need and your brother has it, your brother should share with you. But he should have the right to choose to share with you. Yeah? Two coats and your brother has none. Share. Faith, hope, and charity. That's what you need to repent to the point where that's what you're doing. If you want to be free, set your neighbor free. Stop forcing him to contribute to your welfare. Some people equate that with getting out of the system. But now if you want to be in the kingdom, provide. You know, he didn't say, if you have no coat, wait till your brother decides to be charitable. He says, if you have two coats, be charitable. That's the difference. The guy who wants out of the system, he just doesn't want, he may not want to take the benefits of the world, which is good, but he doesn't want to become the benefits of a godly society, giving to that society accordingly. And it's a lot of trouble to find ministers who are really giving and unselfish. I mean, it's hard to find them, so that's a lot of work just in finding them. And then determining whether they really are. And then keeping an eye on them to make sure they really stay that way. But we all have to get off the fence and start seeking the kingdom and stop pretending that we're in the kingdom because we don't pay taxes, if, you, if that's the case with you. Personally, I think you should pay the taxes. You should feel the sting of your sloth until you're in a position where you don't owe the tax. And where that position is, it varies from country to country and person to person.
people. We don't tell anybody not to pay taxes they owe. If you owe it, pay it. And even sometimes if you don't owe it, but you've given the appearance of owing it, pay it anyway. God will provide your way to do that. But the key thing is to be seeking the kingdom of God, this opportunity of giving to God. So I completely forgot what the question was, but I think I answered <laughs> How could that happen? Another... <laughs> you got another question? <laughs> no, I said, how could that ever happen, right? But anyway, we're, we're pointing out that the Roman army was this, it was an all-volunteer army, and you, you were in that, and you, there was a sense of loyalty that, you know, I've joined this group, we're a brotherhood together, and they fought by each other, they worked by each other, and they knew that they had said, oh, this guy is going to keep us orderly, and so he says, go here, and we're going to go there. So we had this sense of loyalty. Now, there's a there's a very fine line where you cross over and you start bringing into the effect of Saul syndrome is when you make those captains and generals that you pick to serve men who can exercise authority and then they start making decisions based not upon your welfare but upon their own ambition and of course that's that's actually the way in which the Roman army was transitioning right then at the time of Christ they become more and more autocratic and dictatorial but we see very clearly, oh, well, actually, most of you wouldn't because most of you haven't studied it, you know, Saul's uh, half-brother and, and uh, nephew were extremely charitable, and and his daughters uh, were even more charitable. Uh, the, and the, the one church that they built still stands, at least. <laughs> probably the reconstruction because that was an awful long time ago but reconstruct along many of the same basics some of the same stones are there uh, were built by the uh, nieces the grand nieces of uh, Paul and underneath the one there's 3,000 Christians buried that were murdered by the jealous followers of Nero when he was creating the distraction so he could actually steal millions <laughs> upon millions of dollars worth of Roman gold. Uh, but anyway, that's another whole story. Um, so anyway, we can go on and talk more about this idea of ordained, but there is a chapter in the Free Church Report uh, that talks about um, uh, these concepts. Uh one quote here in Hebrews 13:17, we see, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls that, uh, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable, unprofitable for you. So that's Hebrews 13:17. So. He's talking about obey, and a lot of pastors like to throw that word out, obey. Uh, many ministers believe that this gives them authority to rule over the people. The word obey in the Hebrew there is uh, pitho, and is translated persuade, trust, have or be confident in over 40 times. Obey, it's only translated obey, 
seven times. It actually is defined as persuade. So if you put the word persuade, persuade them that have rule over you, or trust in those that have rule over you, and even look at the word rule over and see what word that is. Do they really have that rule over you? And, of course, you're, if you're talking to Christians, which we're dealing with in Hebrews, they already don't have to obey the decrees of Caesar because they belong to another government. They're a part of another government. They aren't in the government of the world. They are separate. And so, you know, when you read the New Testament, you have to realize who's talking to who. You know, these are people who've already come out and they've been made separate and Christ has already taken the kingdom away from the Pharisees and given it to the apostles who were appointed as the ambassadors of an actual government. And if you go back to that uh, 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 word rule in 13.7, it's, it's not. Uh, the word that we would normally think of, the archon, you know, the, the anarchist, archo, uh, not ruler. It's not that word. It's uh, hegomai, if I remember correctly. But that word is more often uh, translated into words like count or think or esteem. It doesn't mean governor arche. Because these were anarchists. They didn't have uh, leaders who could exercise authority one over the other. But if you, if you translate uh, uh, these different words uh, into English and you put the word rule there, you might think that it's the same rule that we see translated from arche. But it isn't. It's a different word. So you have to do some study. But once you start understanding the nature of the kingdom, that it isn't a social estate where you can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. As a matter of fact, that is anti-Christ. That is pro-Pharisee. And the Pharisees would kill Christ. This is the battle that's continuing throughout the world today. Are you property of the state? Or are you free souls under God? Well, do you want to make your neighbor property? Do you want to be able to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and make them a human resource so that you can have social security, so that you can have safe welfare? Well, then you should be in bondage, and you are in bondage, because and that is what you need to repent of. If that isn't what you're repenting of when you go to your church and get baptized, then you're just all wet. And you don't want to just be all wet. You want to be righteous. Then the faith seeks the kingdom. Say again. Got another question for you. Another question. Good. <laughs> um, how does saving others quoted concept relate to Matthew thirteen sixteen, where Jesus seems to indicate a very individual concept for one's personal physical salvation? And then he quotes. Then uh, he quotes. Well, it says Mark thirteen sixteen, but. This is the verse he's talking about. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. Okay, so what was the first part of that question? How does the saving others 
concept relate to the guy in the field that's told not to even go back to take up his garment. It seems to indicate a, an individual concept for one's personal physical salvation. Uh, well, uh, it, the uh, yeah, I really don't see that. There's certainly there's an individual salvation, but if you're not doing the will of the Father, you haven't got it. Uh, so you might as well go back and get your coat. <laughs> uh, the the you know uh, when you're, you're taking quotes out of different areas, you have to put them back into the context. Uh, you know, I, I can't really see that, that his logic is actually proving anything other than the fact salvation is always an individual thing. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you are uh, you know, if you really do believe in Christ, you will be doing what Christ was doing. Uh, yeah, I really don't understand where the conflict is in the question. Uh, run that question by me again, whatever he had with a question mark after. <laughs> I don't see how those things are related. How does, quote, or how does the, quote, saving others, end quote, concept, relate to Matthew 13:16, where Jesus seems to indicate a very individual concept for one's personal physical salvation. Well, for one thing, uh, maybe there's the idea of saving others. We don't save anybody. Uh, do they think that we're actually saving other people? Well, maybe that's what he wants to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Because we don't save anybody. We bear witness. And we bear witness by our actions. We bear witness by obeying and doing the will of the Father. Uh, and is the quote he's talking about Matthew fifteen sixteen? It says Matthew thirteen sixteen, and then when he oh. quotes it below, it says Mark thirteen sixteen. So I'm not sure which one. Okay, because that may be partly where I'm getting confused, too. Uh, maybe he can clarify that. Uh, is he talking Matthew uh, thirteen sixteen? Because I... I was quickly trying to look those words up here, and I'm not following where he's going with that. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we don't save anybody. Uh, we bear witness. Uh, salvation is a choice on our part and on God's part. And if we really choose to do the will of God, uh, uh, it's Mark then, thirteen sixteen. Also, he is talking about, because, you know, uh, 13 and 16 is, blessed are the eyes for they see and, the, <laughs> and your ears for they hear. <laughs> uh, which, of course, is really what it, it's all about is, uh, is uh, you know, you have to be given the eyes and ears to hear and see by God. And we're not going to have a chance to really answer that question because we only got about 20 seconds left. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we'll get that next time but uh, maybe we partially answered it anyway so anyway thanks Paul for being there and thanks everybody for thanks, going Greg. up and God bless
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.